Good morning. My name is Laura Holmes. My pronouns are she, her. This morning's scripture reading comes from Luke 19, 1 through 10 from the message. Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically. Master, I gave away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Jesus said, today salvation day is in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning again. All right, let's see who knows this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. And as the Savior came that day, he looked up in the tree, and he said, Zacchaeus, you come down from there. From coming to your, for I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. For I'm going to your house today. Some of you, some of you did not go to a Southern Baptist Sunday school, and it shows. I mean, you just told all over yourselves right there. Okay, you, all right, all right. There's only one way to sing it, but. I will entertain the idea that it might be, there might be a different way to sing it. So, Laura, how do we sing it? Let's listen. I'm so sad that you learned, you all learned it the wrong way. <laughs> wow. I knew there were differences between the North and the South. This is just a prime example. Doggone it. In all honesty, I really think you were all right and I was wrong. It's been a long time. What can I say? All right. So let's take a look at Zacchaeus, a little background, a little context. He was more than a wee little man. Zacchaeus was rich, super duper rich. He was a Jewish tax collector, not just a tax collector, but the chief tax collector for the empire of Rome. And he was despised by his Jewish compatriots. He was their Brutus. He was their Benedict Arnold. He was their Judas, even though they didn't know who any of those were. But he was that. 
Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was short, and here is what that would have meant in Roman antiquity. To be short was a marker of being a lesser person, like a little child. Because in Roman antiquity, children were not considered like we consider children today, most of us anyway. They were, so a short person did not have a lot of respect, and he probably got made fun of at school, probably was bullied. But <clears throat> he did become rich and powerful when he grew up. However, he probably didn't have a lot of friends. Jesus is, we also see Zacchaeus is climbing trees, which just adds to his uh, identity as someone who's like a child because only children climb trees, right? So he was like a wee little man, like a child. So Zacchaeus embarrasses himself to see who Jesus is. This is setting himself up for even more humiliation. And if you were reading this parable or if you were hearing this parable at that time, this would have been humorous. Like we have just laughed, the audience would have laughed then as well. But I also want you to notice what is going on with Jesus. The very first text says, Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. We are at the end of Jesus' life right here. He is headed up to Jerusalem. He's only about 18 miles away from Jericho, from Jerusalem, I'm sorry. Uphill the whole way. It could be a day's walk. It was anywhere from nine, I'm sorry, six to nine hour, a six to nine hour walk, depending on the circumstances, depending on who he might have stopped and had, a, had lunch with or spoke to or healed. But it wasn't that far away by foot. Jesus is only six to nine hours away from the city that he will die in. And yet, he sees Zacchaeus in a tree and stops to make time for him. Now, I just want to pause that for just one second. This makes the case for us or for me for just doing the next right thing. I'm sure he had a lot on his mind. He was headed towards something that he knew was going to be really bad. But yet he saw Zacchaeus in a tree, and he stopped, and he took time. He did the next right thing. Jesus was literally a dead man walking, but still reached out to do the next right thing. As a pastor, I often hear people say, well, in distress, I don't know what to do. As a human being, I often say in distress, I don't know what to do. But I can remind friends and I remind myself, just do the next right thing. Is the next right thing Paying the light bill, then pay the light bill. Is the next right thing is I have dinner with my family. Have dinner with your family. Is the next right thing putting the dishes in the dishwasher? Put the dishes in the dishwasher. Just do the next right thing that needs to be done. So Zacchaeus finds out that Jesus is coming to town and he climbed up in a sycamore tree that he could, so that he could see Jesus when he came by. David Bentley Hart, he translates the New Testament and he, he translates this verse this way. He wished to see who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. Zacchaeus is probably thinking, 
What is this miracle man that everybody's talking about? What does he look like? Is he short like me? Will he perform a miracle in front of all of this crowd today? He wanted to see who Jesus was. And he found out the best way, up close and personal. So Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he says, Zacchaeus, get out of that tree. I'm coming to your house. Because Jesus knew who he was. Jesus knew this was a rich man. Jesus knew he was the chief tax collector. He knew that he was probably despised in this village of Jericho. He knew he probably didn't have a lot of friends. He knew who Zacchaeus was. And yet he looked straight at him and he said, Come on down, I'm coming to your house today. One of the commentaries that I read said, One of the reasons he probably did that is because he knew that Zacchaeus had the means to host him. Think about that. Everyone who saw the incident was indignant and grunt. And I think grunt as a verb is fantastic. I will be using it henceforth. <laughs> grunt. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Again, these people didn't like him very much. And the assumption that Zacchaeus is a crook, a sinner... Because obviously he's taking goods from the Jewish people and gives them to Rome, the enemy. But why do they assume this? Why does the community assume Zacchaeus to be a crook? The New, Interpreter, New Interpreter's Bible tells us this. Roman officials contracted with local entrepreneurs to collect the prescribed indirect taxes, tolls, tariffs, and custom fees in a given area. These entrepreneurs, the chief tax collector, were required to pay the contract in advance. Then they would employ others to collect the taxes with the hope that the amount collected would yield a profit. The system, not surprising, was open to abuse. And Jews who collected taxes for the Romans were assumed to be dishonest and were hated by other Jews for their complicity with the Gentile oppressors. I mean... It's a fair assumption that they believed Zacchaeus was a crook. He's privileged, he's rich, he's also an outcast. He's an outsider to this community. And just as an aside there, for Lent this year, we're going to be doing a sermon series from the Gospel of Luke. And the title is, Brian, correct me if I'm wrong, it's The Stories of the Outsider, the Outcast, and the Outlaw. Is that right? Something like that. We know that Jesus, we also know that Jesus doesn't have very many positive things to say about rich people, right? Right? Doesn't have a whole lot of good things to say about rich people. Especially Luke. Luke is certainly not a fan of rich people. Jesus pronounced woes on the rich in chapter 6. He called the rich farmer a fool in chapter 12. The rich man is in Hades begging poor Lazarus for water in chapter 16. And Jesus tells us that it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God in chapter 18. So here we are, another rich man, a chief tax collector whose dishonesty, dishonesty is about to be dramatically exposed. And he, will, and he will hear a severe judgment from Jesus. But we don't hear that. Jesus yet subverts our expectations. 
Rich people are not always to be viewed with suspicion. They are not always the bad guy. In the previous chapter, we read the parable of a Pharisee and a tax collector. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all of my income. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exhausted. Be exalted. Luke says in verse 34 of chapter 7 that Jesus was mocked for being a friend of tax collectors and sinners. The tax collectors were rich and despised and outcast, and yet Jesus befriends them. Jesus says, come to the rich, to the despised, to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the poor. Now, some teachers, preachers will teach this story, this parable, as a way to woo us to repentance so we will be saved, so we will make a decision to be saved. How many of you have heard the story of Zacchaeus as one of Zacchaeus repented of his sins and he came to know Jesus and he was saved so he didn't have to go to hell? Yeah, me too. But what if there is more to this story than just repentance and walking an aisle to say a sinner's prayer? I'm not saying that Luke 19, 1 through 10 couldn't be interpreted that way. It can be. It can be interpreted as Zacchaeus repenting and being saved from hell. You could certainly read that into the text. But Jewish New Testament scholars, as well as as others, over the past decades have come to see the story of Zacchaeus in a new light. And the message translation conveys it. Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages. Other translations will word this differently and will say, But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Did you catch the difference? What's the difference? Yes. That's good. Anyone else? Yes. Yes. Yes, but there's that in there too. One is one translation, one way to see this, he was already doing these things. The other translation is that he says he will from now on. It all depends in the verb tenses in the Greek, and there's disagreement with it. We're not going to get into that here. But if the message translation is a better translation, Zacchaeus is already doing what he should be doing with the money he receives. There is no mention in this text of Zacchaeus repenting at all as a sin. As Amy Jill Levine says, Zacchaeus has been judged incorrectly and unfairly 
the people assumed, well, what if that was not the truth at all? What if he was privately doing these things already? And they just didn't know because they wrote that man off. Jesus has provided Zacchaeus a public forum to state what he has always done. And he grants him the opportunity to have a positive reputation among the people he lives with. He gives him the chance to have community. Zacchaeus' community judged him unfairly. They didn't take the time to get to know him. They assumed bad intent. Me and Holly and Kelly and Megan went to Evolving Faith uh, in October, and in their guy, in, in one of their like program books, um, I think it had like maybe frequently asked questions and answering this, those questions. Da, da 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 da. But one of the highlights that was in that book that I wrote down, they they wrote quote assign positive intent to one another, unquote. Now, we get a lot of flack for being Pollyannas, right? We also can get in trouble for being Pollyannas, right? That's no lie. But assigning positive tent, intent to one another, until you're proven otherwise, that doesn't sound like a bad idea. Because it's always about restoration to the community. It's always about the restoration of relationships. It's always about restoration. But we have to see one another correctly first. One of the worst things for me as an Enneagram 4 is for someone to not see me correctly. If I get an email or have a conversation with someone and they say this, 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 and this about me and they're so far off base, I just about lose my mind. Because as an Enneagram 4, I need you to see me really <laughs> correctly who I am and to be perceived in a bad way, not even a bad way, but just in a wrong way, wrong for me way, that can be hard for me to deal with. We need to learn to see one another correctly. And that takes community, my friends. We get that in community. So Jesus said, today is the day of salvation. Today is salvation day in this home. Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. Today is salvation day in this home. In May, we're going to do another sermon series on reclaiming some words that have been misapplied, misused, and we're going to take a fresh look at them. And one of the words that we're going to take, one of the ideas, the concepts that we're going to take a look at is what does it mean to be saved? What does that mean? What does salvation mean? The Greek word literally means to rescue, to deliver. It means health. It means saving. When I say saving, that implies over and over, I am saving you. I am saving you. It can also mean to protect, to heal, to preserve, to make whole. What if Billy Graham was wrong? What if he was? What if, just imagine with me, there is no sinner's prayer 
that we are not bound for hell if we do not accept the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts as our personal Lord and Savior. It's very hard not to emphasize some North Carolinian accent on that. What if it was wrong? What if we've gotten that wrong? What if he was never speaking of saving us from hell? What if he was never speaking condemnation over us as sinners? Instead, what if he was speaking over Zacchaeus and over us as how we could be made whole? How we could be healed and protected and preserved and delivered? 20th century Swiss, Swiss theologian Karl Barth was, I cannot talk today. Hold on. Let me see if the magic water works. 20th century Swiss theologian Karl Barth was asked one time, thank you, was asked one time, when was the exact moment you were saved? Barth replied, I was saved at 3 o'clock on a Friday afternoon on a hill outside the city of Jerusalem in the year 33 A.D. Amen. Now, we're going to do things a little bit differently today. You can let me know later if you like it or hate it. If you hate it, try to couch that nicely. <laughs> All right, now we're going to have some sermon discussion. So I am going to ask you for the sake of time to keep your responses, your observations to one minute or less. So that gives opportunity for other people in the room to speak if they have something they want to say. And I want to say this too. You are more than welcome to disagree with everything I just said, as long as you're nice. You can disagree with somebody else in this room as they share their observation. We are not afraid of that at Imago Day. So you have the freedom to disagree. So the first question that I'm going to ask you is, where is there some conflict for you in this passage? What is the Spirit disrupting? Where is the conflict for you in this passage of Zacchaeus? I'll give you time to think. Yes. That's right. Okay, so there should be a reckoning. There should be a reckoning. Anyone else? Yes. Yeah. Jesus loved Zacchaeus even if he had stolen. 
money from his friend. No, no not friends. Let's say community. Any other? Yes. 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 Jesus is saying that to to Zacchaeus. Jesus. Yes, he is. Yes. Me too. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Do not judge. Second question. Where is there some clarity for you in this passage? What is the Spirit confirming? Where is there clarity for you in this passage? What is the Spirit confirming? Yes. That's right. That's right. Jesus loves everyone. Yes. Oh, that's good. Oh. Jesus still loves us. Even when we mess up. Yes. Yes, Jesus wants to be in community with us. Anyone else? Yes. 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 Jesus loves us regardless. I saw a hand over here. Yes. Ooh, yes. All right. I ask you, what if we have gotten salvation wrong? The title of today's sermon is, The Wholeness of a Wee Little Man. 
Jesus told Zacchaeus that today is the day of rescuing, of delivering, of healing, and saving in his home. He told Zacchaeus that he had come to seek him, him, the awful rich tax collector, and he would preserve him and make him whole. Jesus was not saying to Zacchaeus that he was saving him from hell. He was saving him from himself. He was saving him from the path that he was on and teaching him a better path, a narrow way, a life-giving way. And through all of that, Jesus was also teaching to the crowds around Zacchaeus. And he was saying to them without saying to them, I'm teaching you too. Are you listening? Today, Jesus told Zacchaeus, Today I am bringing you wholeness. Today I am saving you and will continue to save you. Today I'm healing you. Today is the time of deliverance and redemption. Today is the time to open our eyes and see what God is doing all around us. Today, even when one person is offered forgiveness, hears a word of affirmation, clings to hope that life can be different, or resolves to live by a new set of values in the future, there the kingdom of God is at work. And it is today.